Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the Met, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Now, enjoy the message. Good. Yeah, you better be doing good after that. That was awesome. That was awesome. We are, we're so glad that you're here. Last week, we started a little mini-series called Crazy Train. And the reason why we called it that was because, let's face it, the last six months have been a little crazy, right? We've all been on this crazy ride, this crazy train that has been taking us to places that we've never been before. We don't know when we're going to get off. And we've all had these crazy emotions because of it. Some of us have been angry by what's been happening. Some of us have been afraid because of what we think might happen. And some of us have just felt alone through this whole process. And the problem with feeling angry, alone, or afraid is the fact that the ways of God don't seem as important. That when you're angry, alone, or afraid, doing what God wants you to do doesn't seem high on your priority because you just want to do anything to change the way you feel, so you end up taking matters into your own hands. And it might feel good to take matters into your own hands, but it never turns out good. So that's why we talked about the fact that we need to accept that God is in control. It's Lamentations 3.37. Nothing happens without God's permission. And if God has allowed us all to go through this trial, we need to look at it with joy. We need to look at it that God is in control, that God is at work, and God is doing something in us and through us for our good and his glory. And today, as we conclude this series, I want to talk to you about somebody who wouldn't accept the fact that God was in control. He wouldn't accept that God was in control, and because he wouldn't accept it, guess what? He goes crazy. He literally goes crazy. He has what is called boanthropy. Okay, now if you don't know what boanthropy is, that's great, because now you're gonna have to listen to the message to find out, okay? (laughs) But before we get to his story, before we get to his story, uh, I wanna remind you to be back next weekend because Bill's starting a brand new series called Better. He's he's gonna be talking about this whole series is gonna set around the fact that, that life is better with God. And when you walk with God, you're better at life. And so make sure you're here. It's going to be an incredible series. So do that. Bring somebody with you. If you're watching online, make sure that you're watching and invite somebody to watch with you. Have a watch party because I guarantee you after this series, your life is going to be better. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. So make sure you're watching that. Now, the story that we're going to talk about today actually takes place about 580 BC, okay? And it involves the most powerful man in the world at that time. It was a guy by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon, okay? And Babylon was the world power back then. Babylon is located in modern-day Iraq. And about 20 years earlier, it was King Nebuchadnezzar who took his army and marched on Jerusalem. What was happening was that the king of Judah at that time was a guy by the name of Jehoiakim. And he was a really, really bad king. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He led the nation away from God, and he worshiped foreign gods. He worshiped all these foreign gods, and God said to him, hey, you want to worship foreign gods? I'm going to let a foreign nation come in and take over, and that's what happens. They, they have this battle. Jehoiakim is killed in the battle, and Nebuchadnezzar takes over Jerusalem. This is when he carts off about 10,000 of the Hebrews uh, back to Babylon to be slaves. This is how Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, this is how they all end up in Babylon. Now, before Nebuchadnezzar left, he appoints a guy by the name of Zedekiah 
to be the king. He was kind of a token king. And if you look in your history books, you're going to see that Zedekiah was actually the last king the Israelites ever had. And his job was basically to collect taxes for Nebuchadnezzar and send him a check. Just send me a check every single month. Everything's going to be fine. You just do your job. Everything's going to be good. But Zedekiah ended up doing what all the other kings did, started doing what he wanted. He started leading the nation away from God again, just doing whatever he wanted. And the prophet Jeremiah comes and says, you better cut it out. You saw what happened to the last guy, right? Come on. You better, better go back to God. Go back to God. And he's going, I'm the king now. I can do whatever I want. And so he did whatever he wanted. And he didn't send Nebuchadnezzar a check. So guess who shows back up? Nebuchadnezzar shows back up and he destroys Jerusalem this time. He tears down the wall. Then he goes and he loots the temple and then he tears down the temple. He takes all of the vessels that were used in worship in the temple and he takes them back to Babylon and he stores them inside the vault there. Now, I want you to remember that because it becomes real important at the end of the story that we're gonna talk about today. But with all that was going on, the Jews and Nebuchadnezzar looked at it differently. See, all of the Israelites looked at what was happening was that they didn't obey God They were living away from God. And because of the fact they weren't doing what God wanted them to do, they were facing the consequences. So it was kind of like God has put them in timeout over in Babylon and they have to go there and they they gotta spend their time there kind of realizing the error of their ways. And then when they kind of get through that period and realize, no, we were wrong, God, we're ready to come back. And then God would restore them back in Jerusalem. This is how they looked at it. But Nebuchadnezzar looked at it totally different. He looked at it from the fact that Marduk, which was his God, this is who he worshiped, was greater than Yahweh, the Israelite God. He said, Marduk gave us victory over the Israelites. He's the one who gave us Jerusalem. So our God is the big God, not your God. That's how he looked at it. And the whole point of this story that we're gonna talk about today is you're crazy if you think God's not in control. And that's where we're going to see this whole crazy story because Daniel actually wrote this down in the book of Daniel. And uh, he was an advisor to Nebuchadnezzar um, up to this point. He was already been there for about 20 years when this takes place. And we're going to pick up the story in Daniel 4. And what we're going to see is that Nebuchadnezzar is having a dream. In fact, he's having a nightmare. He's having this this nightmare where he sees this huge tree, this huge tree. It's the biggest tree there is. And its canopy is so large that it covers the earth and all the animals would come underneath it and they would find rest and they'd find shade and they would get food. And then this voice says, cut it down, cut it to the stump. And then this is where we're gonna pick it up in Daniel 4, 15. It says this, this is what the voice says to him in his dream. He says, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. And then the voice says this. It says, the decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict. And this is the whole reason for the dream. This is the whole reason for Nebuchadnezzar. It's for all of us. This is what is happening. So that the living may know that the most high is sovereign over all nations, uh, kingdoms on earth and gives to them, gives to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. Well, Nebuchadnezzar wakes up and he's terrified. I mean, he is terrified. 
He doesn't know what the dream means, but he knows it's not good and he thinks it's about him. So he starts calling in all of his, all of the people that he usually counsels with and he gets all of, all of those leaders that he has around him and he's telling them the dream and he says, what do you think it means? And nobody knows, nobody's telling him or at least they're, they're too scared to tell him what it is. Well, so then he calls Daniel. He says, Daniel, come in, come in. Here, this is what my dream is. I need you to tell me what it is. And it says that Daniel becomes terrified. Daniel's scared to death because he knows what the dream means. And he knows that the dream is all about Nebuchadnezzar. And he's scared of what Nebuchadnezzar is gonna do when he tells him what the dream is about. Well, Nebuchadnezzar said, hey, don't worry about it. I just need to know. I need to know what it is. And so I think Daniel takes a deep breath and then he tries to soften the blow. And he says this in Daniel 4.19. He says, my Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies, it's meaning to your adversaries. And I think he's saying, I hate the fact that I'm the one that's gonna have to tell you this, okay? So, so go, go light on me, all right? Because if this was happening to anybody else, you'd be okay with it. In fact, if it was happening to your enemies, you'd probably be celebrating right now. But the dream you had is actually about you. And you're the tree and you're gonna be cut down to size. In fact, your kingdom is gonna be taken away from you. But it's worse than that. It's worse than that, that you're gonna be humiliated in front of everybody because you're gonna go crazy. You're gonna be crazy in front of everybody else. And then Daniel says, but here's the good news. God's not gonna kill you, okay? He said, that's the good news about this. He, he goes on to say, the command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. He's saying, all you gotta do is acknowledge that God is in control. That uh, if you would just acknowledge that God is in control, then guess what? It all comes back. And he says, so, so let me give you some advice. He says, renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. He's saying, guess what? You might be able to avoid this whole thing. Just think about it. If right now you just, you just say, hey, I'm sorry, God. Yes, you are in control. My bad. I mean, I'm bowing my knee to you. Everything's gonna be fine. He's saying, here's some advice. Come on. What, you know what the alternative is, right? Well, Nebuchadnezzar might've been scared of the dream, but he wasn't scared of Daniel's God. He's going, wait a minute. My God, Marduk, <laughs> we've already defeated him. Is this what this is about? I mean, we've already defeated your God. This is about your God? No, 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 I'm not worried about it. And Nebuchadnezzar doesn't change. He keeps on doing all the things he do. He knows all the advice of Daniel. And it says a year goes by. A year goes by with all this happening. And it says this, it says 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power for, my, for the glory of my majesty? You know people like that? Don't they just make you sick, all those people that just tell you how great they are and all the things they've done? This is what he is. Not only is he doing that, he's walking around by himself, telling himself how great he is. Okay, this is, this is where this guy is at this point. I always think of Proverbs 16, 18. Pride cometh before a fall, okay? You out there trying to tell God what you've done, oh, you're about to find out. And he was about to find out with him thinking he's done it all. And it says this, it says, even as the words were on his lips, he couldn't even finish talking about how great he was when a voice came from heaven. 
It says, this is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. And a decree is something that somebody that's in authority can give. It's like sending down a law. This is actually going to happen. And it was something that Nebuchadnezzar was used to doing. He was the one that was in authority. And now God is saying, no, no, you're not in authority. I'm in authority. And this is what's going to happen. He says, your royal authority has been taken from you. I've taken it from you. Now, here's the point that we need to listen with what's going on right here, right now. The reason why God could take it from Nebuchadnezzar is because it was God who gave it to Nebuchadnezzar. I want you to understand that. It's Romans 13:1 that God appoints all the leaders. God is the one who gives the authority. It's not just God has authority over Christians. God has authority over the whole earth. And that anybody who's put in place, God has put them there. And because God has put them there, God can remove them from that. What we need to look at our lives is realizing that we don't have ownership of our lives. We have stewardship of our lives. God has given us our life as a gift. And our gift that we have is to run our life the way God wants us to do this. That's what we are. We are stewards of what God has given to us. Let me, let me kind of help you out to understand what I'm talking about. Is the fact that when you think of our church, it was God who gave Bill the vision to this church. It was God who put Bill as the head of our church. But he didn't give him the authority to run the church the way he saw. He gave him the authority to run it the way God wants him to run it. And then as the church grew and he needed more people to help manage all the things that he was over, he started getting other staff people. And then what he did was he gave us authority. He gave us stewardship. But it's not to do as we see fit. It's to do as he would do if he was doing it himself, just as what he's doing is what God is having him do. That's what your life is. It's a stewardship. It's a gift from God. And we are supposed to live our lives for him because he has given it to us. And what he has given, he can take away. And he's taken it away from Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, you will be driven away from the people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass uh, for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on the earth and gives to them anyone he wishes. And then it says, immediately, immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people. He ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Everything that he had dreamed about happened. Everything that God had shown him in his dream happened to him right there. And he's now crazy. He's on all fours and he thinks he's an animal. And it says his wife comes in and sees him down there and she's thinking, what is going on? What is going on with him? He's crazy. And then she starts thinking, I don't know if he's housebroken. So she starts shooing him out, starts shooing him out of, the, out of the house and she puts him into the garden, puts him in, into the garden. And it says he stays out there and he eats grass like the animals. He thinks he's a cow, boanthropy. That's what it is. Look it up. It's a real psychological disorder. And it's where somebody actually thinks they're a cow. And that's what he does. He lives out there. And we don't know how long. We're assuming it was seven years because it talks about seven times. But that's what he did. He was out there for seven years. In fact, if you look at the, uh, the history of Babylon, there's actually a gap 
of seven years when nothing was going on. And a lot of historians are saying that's when he was crazy. He was out eating grass. And then it says this. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Now, if you don't get anything else in this message today, get this. Through every crazy thing you're going to through, here's the solution. Raise your eyes towards heaven and your sanity is restored. See, we go crazy because we focus on crazy. And there's a lot of crazy things going around us to, for us to focus on. But if we focus our eyes on heaven, our sanity would be restored. And that's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He says, then I, I praised the most high. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. What a transformation is going on in Nebuchadnezzar's life. I guess you do that when you've been crazy for seven years, right? All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the people of the earth. He's saying, I thought I had it all, but I didn't have anything. He says, no one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? There's no power over him. There's no authority over God. Nobody can question what God is doing. And I think that's the thing that, that, that is a waste of time for all of us. When we see all of the craziness is going on, let's don't question God. Let's trust him in the process. And he says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. Everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Nebuchadnezzar was saying that I was the most powerful man in the world and God brought me to my knees. He can bring anybody to their knees. That's why we need to live our lives knowing that he is in control, that he is in control of all things. And what we see in the story, that's how Nebuchadnezzar lived out the rest of his life. He reigned for 40 years. And he reigned knowing that not his God, Marduk, but Daniel's God, Yahweh, was the one who was in control of all things. Well, when he dies, they go through a couple of kings trying to replace him, and, and uh, they didn't last very long. There was always something was going on, and he was always replaced because Babylon's power started to wane. It started to wane, and what was happening was the Persia started to rise up under Cyrus the Great, Persia was now wanting to be the world power and they were setting their sights on Babylon. And so Cyrus the Great starts marching towards Babylon. Well, at this time, there was a guy by Nabonidus who was the king. He was the king. He wasn't a Nebuchadnezzar. He wasn't a great military guy, but he knew he had to go fight Cyrus the Great. And so he prepares his army to go out and take him on. But before he did, he put a co-regent or a co-leader uh, by a guy by the name of Belshazzar. Okay, now I know that's a lot of names, but that's what they are. I wish they were Bill, Ted, and all that kind of stuff, but that's what their names are. It'd be easier to remember if it was that way, but his name was Belshazzar, and he was actually the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, if you read in your Bibles, it might say that Nebuchadnezzar was his father, but that's just how they spoke. He was actually his grandson, okay, of doing this. So now he's staying back in Babylon while Nabonidus is going to fight Cyrus. Well, that fight didn't take long. Cyrus destroyed the Babylonians real quick. And they captured Nabonidus. And now he takes aim for Babylon. 
and he marches and he goes outside of, of uh, Babylon. Well, Belshazzar is thinking, I don't care what you do. Nobody's getting in Babylon. I mean, it's impenetrable. The walls are thicker than anybody can get through. They're higher than anybody can scale them. Our gates are bronze. Nobody can break through them. We're fine. And plus, the Euphrates River runs under our walls and through our city, so we can outlast anybody. You'll die in the desert before you get in here with us, so I don't care. And so what he ends up doing, while, while uh, Cyrus is outside, he throws a party. He throws a party. They're, 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 Cyrus is wanting to battle, and he ends up throwing a party. And he brings all of the, the top people in, and they're all eating and drinking and having a good time. And then Belshazzar remembers, oh, wait a minute. When my grandfather destroyed Jerusalem, he looted the temple. They got a lot of these great vessels in there, gold cups, silver cups. Get those out. Get them out. We need to have that stuff while we party. And so they bring out all of the vessels that were used in worship in the temple, and they start drinking out of those things. And not only are they drinking out of those things, okay, they're toasting their gods with those things. Well, then God says, had enough. So right while they're having this party, it says a hand appears and a finger starts writing on the wall. Yeah, that's in your Bible. That's why I tell you to read this, okay? It's all there. Great stories. Now that you've all canceled your Netflix because of what they're doing, start reading your Bible, okay? And, and get these stories. And this is where we get the whole phrase, okay? We get the whole phrase of the writings on the wall. And the writing was on the wall for Belshazzar. And he is freaking out. And he's asking anybody, what does it say? What does it say? Nobody knew what it said. Well, then the queen goes to him. The queen goes to him and says, hey, your grandfather used to talk to this guy, this guy named Daniel. Maybe he knows what it is. And so they send for Daniel, and Daniel comes. He's about 70 years old now, okay? And he comes, and Belshazzar goes, can you read this? And he goes, I sure can. I can read it. And I think he was ticked off at this point because he saw what was going on. He saw what they were using, the vessels that were used in the, in the temple. And he says, Belshazzar, your grandfather was full of pride. Your grandfather thought he could do what he wanted, when he wanted to, whoever he wanted. And God brought him to his knees. He brought him to his knees. He went crazy. And you knew it. You knew it. And you've disregarded it. And not only have you disregarded it, you've made a mockery because now you're, you're mocking God by using his utensils for your party. So yeah, I can tell you what this is. And so this is what he says. He said, here's what the words mean. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. God has just said, your reign is over. And what you need to know is why this party was going on, while all this was happening. Cyrus had sent out part of his army to start uh, detouring the river. He was trying to move some of the river, and he moved it enough that the level of the Euphrates dropped down enough that he could send in his SEAL team. Yeah, they had SEAL teams back then. That. Okay, he sent in his SEAL team, right? And he goes, and they swim underneath the wall. They get to the guards. They kill the guards. They fling open the gates, and Persia comes in and takes over. And it says that Belshazzar was killed that very night. 
his reign is over. Don't ever think that God is not in control. Don't ever think that you're above God. And what history shows that after Cyrus the Great took over um, uh, Babylon, he let go of the Jewish slaves and he let them all go back to Jerusalem, just as God told the prophet Jeremiah that would happen. God is in control, people. The world might look out of control, but God is in control. And that's why you can trust him. That's why no matter what's going on, you don't take matters into your own hands. You still do things his way because God does have a plan. Now, there's three things that I want you to take away with this story that are so important for us to live our lives the right way. And the first thing is just pretty easy is you're gonna reap what you sow. You're gonna reap what you sow. And I don't care if you're watching, I don't care if you're here and you're not a Christ follower or not, this applies to everybody. This is, this is just a life value. You are gonna reap what you sow. What you put out there is what's gonna come back. It's, it's Galatians 6. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked, okay? He's saying, don't deceive yourself that you can do whatever you want. You can live whatever way you want and you're gonna get away with it because God's not gonna let you get away with those things. He didn't let Nebuchadnezzar get away with it. He didn't let Belshazzar get away with it. He didn't let Jehoiakim get away with it. He didn't let Zedekiah get away with it. And he's not gonna let you get away with it. And it's not because of the fact that he doesn't love you because he sent his son to die for you, but he knows what's best for you. So he's not gonna get, let you get away with it. He says, for whatever a man sows, he will, he will also reap. You're not gonna sow lemons and get oranges. What you put out there is what you're going to get back. It says, for he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He's saying, if you live your life your way, it's gonna fall. You're gonna face destruction. It's what, what Jesus was talking about in the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And when he told the parable, the wise and foolish builder, he said, unless you build your life on me, it's gonna come crumbling down. It's just a matter of time, but it's gonna come down. He says, but he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. He who lives for me, he who obeys me, he who does what I want them to do, you're gonna have the life that you've always wanted. So trust me on it. He says, and let, this, let us not grow weary at doing good. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And when craziness hits our lives, that's when it's so easy for us to give up. When we go through difficulty, it's so easy for us to give up. We've talked about this before, the fact that it's easy to praise God when you don't have anything to trust him with. But now all of a sudden, when you have something you've got to trust him with, now it becomes hard. And he's saying, don't lose heart. Keep trusting him even when the fact that what you want isn't happening when you want it. Because God's got a plan and he will reveal that plan to you when he knows it's the right time to reveal that plan. That's why I always talk about Psalm 119.11. I hide your word in my heart that I won't sin against you. I want to sow scripture into my life. Y'all should be sowing scripture into your life every single day, not just on Sundays. You should know it in your life every day so that you won't take matters in your own hands because every day you're gonna be tempted to. Every day you're gonna be tempted to take matters into your own hands. And it might feel good, but it's not gonna turn out good because you're gonna reap what you sow. Trust God. Second thing, 
You receive when you serve. You receive when you serve. See, life for so many people is about accumulating things. That it's all about, it's all about me getting what I want. That's what Nebuchadnezzar, I wanna be, I wanna be great, I wanna have everything, I wanna get everything, it's all about me, I wanna keep taking stuff in. Now we've talked about this before. You've never seen a U-Haul following in a hearse, right? You ain't taking anything with you. Okay? Nothing's going with you. It's not about you accumulating. It's, it's about you realizing that everything you have is a gift from God. Everything we have is God's. He's given it to us because why? We're supposed to be stewards of it. And you will receive when you serve. We are supposed to be like Jesus. Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life. We should be giving ourselves to others. And when we give, that's when we give back. Believe me, you can't outgive God. Luke 6, he was saying this, give and it'll be given unto you. When you give, that's when you're gonna see it back. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. How much you give is how much you get back. If you're feeling like I'm not being blessed, well, God's saying, well, you've already got your blessing because you ain't doing anything. It's about serving others. It's about putting that out there. And when you're faithful with that, that's when God will take you to where he wants you to be. Jesus talked about that in the parable of the talents, about when we use what God has given us for his glory. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things and I will put you in charge of many things. See, when we serve God, that's when we actually start receiving the things from God. And then finally three, you rise when you surrender. Ladies and gentlemen, you are never, never taller than when you're on your knees. You are never taller than when you're on your knees. You're never stronger than when you surrender to God. 1 Peter 5, it says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. If you wanna make God laugh, tell him what you're gonna do. Tell him what you've done. God doesn't wanna see what you've done because he knows he's given you the ability to do all things. He says, humble yourself therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. This is something that I always say, to, especially to the young people. It's Proverbs 18, 16. It says, your gift will make room for you. Your gift will make room for you. God has gifted every single person in this room. He's given you a gift and he's saying, use it for my glory. Use that gift for my glory. And when you use it for my glory, I will lift you when you're ready for your next thing. So many people think that because I have certain things or I have certain talents or whatever, that I should have a certain place in life. But that place is only there when God gives it to you. So that's why we humble ourselves before the, before the Lord and we do what he wants. That's what this story is all about. You're crazy if you don't think God's in control. What did Jeremiah say to the, the people when they were taken into Babylon? When they, were, when they were exiled out, they were taken by Nebuchadnezzar as slaves. He says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. You'd be crazy 
not to hold on to what God is saying. You'd be crazy not to realize that your hope is in him. And he's given you a future. So trust him, even through this crazy time. Because in due time, you're gonna reap the harvest of what you're putting into your life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for always being there for us. That through all of the chaos that we have, through all of the, the questions of why we're facing certain things, going through certain things, we can have confidence that you have the answers. That you not only have the answers, but you already have a plan of the outcome. So God, help us to, to walk in that plan. Help us to not run ahead of you. Help us to not lag behind you, but help us to walk in step with you. Because when we walk with you and we obey you, we have the life that we've always wanted and the life that you have for us. Because you said you sent your son, not that we would have life, but life to the full. You just don't want us to get by. You want us to have a full life. And it's all about trusting you and obeying you. And if there's anybody here today or watching online that has never stepped out of that craziness, has never stepped out of, of letting go of control of their life, God had you hear this for a reason, because he says it's time. It's time for you to realize that not only am I in control, but I want you to have a great life. So surrender to me. God is saying, I loved you so much that I sent my son to die on the cross for you. And three days later, he rose again so that you could have life in him. And I want you to live that life. I want you to live that perfect plan that I have for you. I want you to live out that future I have for you. So surrender your heart. If you believe of all the things that God has done for you and you've surrendered your life to him right now. You can leave this chaos, this craziness and know that God's in control. God has got you. And God help us to walk in the freedom that you have given all of us and help us to trust you with everything we face. God, we love you and we praise you. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.